Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that we can come here and that we have this beautiful place to celebrate all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for the generations who have praised you. We thank you for the scores of angels who join us in praising you. Lord Jesus, give us grace that we might praise you, affirm you, and serve you in our own day. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's fall, and that means it's football time, college football time. One of my favorite things to do, and I think whether you're a football fan or not, it makes an impression on you, is to go to a home game at The Ohio State University. Now, my grandparents went to Ohio State, my parents went to Ohio State, and I did not go to Ohio State. But my sister did, so the, the line keeps going. And if you've ever been to an Ohio State game, and you know, any college game really, but I think Ohio does it the best, um, you enter into the stadium and there's this infectious spirit about it. There's just this roar of people there, happy to be there, ready to, to have a, a good time and watch a victory, right? And and throughout the game, there's these traditions that, that are done. People holding up placard uh, signs. Uh, the band comes around in small sections through the crowd and, you know, has uh, cheer fight songs. And, 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 and there's, the, there's just all sorts of things that swirl around you so much so that it's not just about the game. Again, even if you don't like football, you can't help but be taken up into the atmosphere of the whole thing. And I want to suggest to you today that the te, de, the te Deum Laudamus is like that, if we really behold it for what it is. It's something that cheers us on as Christians. There's three things I want to look at as we look at the Te Deum Laudamus today. It's found on page 17 in your Book of Common Prayer. And as you're opening up that to that, page 17. Here's, here's the three things that I want to look at. Number one, adoration. We've talked about adoration before in the canticles. We'll probably talk about it again because the canticles are full of it. Number two, acclamation to acclaim. Number three, an appeal. An appeal. In the Tadeum, there's adoration, acclaim, and appeal. So let's qu really quickly look at adoration. Several weeks ago, when we were going through the Dignus S, we talked about what does it mean to adore God? What does it mean to worship Him? And we referenced St. Thomas Aquinas, who says that God, well, anyone, is, is adored because, number one, of who He is, and number two, because of what He has done. And of course, we saw in the Dignus S that there's adoration of God because of who He is and because of what He has done for us. And if you look at the first section of this Te Deum Laudamus on page 17, 
you'll see that once again. How does it start? We praise you, O God. We acclaim you as Lord. All creation worships you, the Father everlasting. Stop there for a minute. Notice, it's a statement of fact. This isn't just something that might happen or may happen. This is something that does happen, independent of us. Right? We praise you, O God. We acclaim you as Lord. That's our part, but here's the statement of fact. All creation worships you, the Father everlasting. And then we continue, right? To you, all angels, all the powers of heaven, the cherubim, the seraphim, sing in endless praise. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. The glorious company of apostles praise you. The noble fellowship of prophets praise you. The white-robed army of martyrs praise you. Throughout the world, the Holy Church acclaims you. And let's stop there for a minute. So... How is this fact verified? Well, first of all, it's all over Scripture, right? We went through last week and talked about how nature itself worships God. Psalm 66.4 says, All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. You've probably heard me say this before. But when we are worshiping, we are merely joining something that's already going and has been ongoing and will go on once we're gone, at least from this earth. When we come here on Sunday, we're taking part in a particularly great festival or party. We don't make the festival or the party up, right? I know you've heard me talk about this before. It's not something that we are at liberty to make up because it's not our own creation. Sometimes people will go after worship and talk about worship as if there was nobody else but the people in the church worshiping, right? But that's not how we look at it as Anglicans and as historic Christians. We see it as something that we're, join, we're, we're invited to join into, which is why we're not at liberty to change much of it. Because it's something that we've been given. It's a patrimony. It's a gift that's been going on for centuries. And so we take up our part. And we see it even in this architecture, right? This is meant to tell us that God and his kingdom is bigger than us and our needs. Right? You can go to a church building... And a church building can be completely functional, right? And God can be there, sure. But it's not as right just to have a stage or just to have whitewashed walls or to have low ceilings. It's not as proper. Why? Because this intentionally reminds us that our worship is so much more than we are. If we look at that back stained glass window, you know what's in that stained glass window? I'll give you all a crick in the neck. I'll give you a hint. It has to do with today's sermon. It's the te deum laudamus put into pictures. Why is that historically one of the windows you find in a church? Because that's going on as we worship, so they worship. 
If you look at these windows around the top, the symbols in them are the 12 apostles, represent the 12 apostles. Why is that important? Because it shows us that this is not something we make up. It's something that we enter into that's been given to us. And then around the side, Pastor Wallace told me, is uh, the, symbol, the symbols there are called the means of grace. The ways that God reaches into our lives with his grace. And so you see the very architecture itself points away from us. That's why we face the altar when we say Holy Communion. Because it's not a cooking show, as my vicar's warden likes to say. It's facing God and offering him solemn and holy adoration as he's commanded us to do. The architecture shows that when we enter into here there's an enter into worship together, there is something separate, set apart, holy. Look at the words that are said. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. When we enter into worship, we join in with a choir that has been singing that at least from Isaiah's time. <laughs> no, it's been, the, the choir's been singing that for all time before Christ. But we get that in Isaiah 6. We get a picture of it, don't we? Did you see that? Or hear that, rather, in the first reading that Holly read? Isaiah chapter 6. What's the context there? Isaiah is having a vision of heaven. A vision of the throne room. And what does the throne room look like? Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And with one called to another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. All the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We get this image of what God's throne looks like through the prophet Isaiah. And that image is intentionally invoked with our song called the Sanctus that we say at Holy Communion. That we are joining in with the seraphim, the cherubim, the angels, those surrounding the throne of God saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord. But of course, unlike Isaiah, we can boldly approach the throne of grace knowing that we've been purified in Christ. As 1 John 1, 7, the Apostle John writes to the church, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So you see, through the blood of Christ, we can boldly approach that throne to acclaim him. 
to adore him, to appeal to him. So we as Christians are part of that vast multitude. Look at the next verse here in the Te Deum. I guess we've said this already, but the glorious company of the apostles praise you. The noble fellowship of prophets praise you. The white-robed army of martyrs praise you. Throughout the world, the holy church acclaims you. So we have that statement of all these different um, created orders worshiping God. And I won't get into it too much today, but there are listed here different orders of angels, right? Angels, the cherubim, the seraphim. We're told of powers. They sing in endless praise. Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 then gives us the second part of that. The glorious company of the apostles. Right? We talked about that last week. Where the apostles, the twelve plus the 12 patriarchs, the 24 elders around the throne of God are praising God, right? The noble fellowship of prophets praise you. Isaiah is up there, along with the rest of the prophets around the throne of God. The white-robed army of martyrs praise you. That's from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. That those that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, the martyrs surround the throne. And then there's us. The church throughout the world acclaims you. The church throughout the world acclaims you. Speaking to the church, the author of the book of Hebrews writes this, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Now, what's the author of Hebrews saying here? Notice he doesn't say, you will come to that, as if you have to die. But he says, you have come to that. That we, in Christ, approach God. We're given a great gift in approaching God that way to approach his very throne room. And so it's the job of the church to acclaim God, which takes us to the second point of the sermon, that we don't just adore, but we acclaim. Now what does it mean to acclaim? What's that word mean? It means, what are some thoughts? Guesses. And you acclaim someone. Okay, praise. Yeah, there's an element of praise there. But that's actually secondary. Because, what's that? Public. Yes, there's a publicity about it, right? To proclaim, to acclaim. Those are two different words, but there's a common root. What else? To align yourself with. Yeah, so all that gets to the idea that the Te Deum is getting at here. 
The Latin is actually con uh, a conjugation of the Latin verb confitior, confitior, which means to acknowledge, acclaim, and confess. Not in the sense of confessing our sins, but in the sense of confessing the truth publicly, confessing the truth. The church throughout the world acclaims you. Notice, how do we start our service every Sunday? Do we start it with me saying, hey, how you doing? No, we start it with what? On page 123. I say it every week. We begin the service with the acclamation, right? The acclamation. And what is the acclamation? Well, there's different ones for the, for the different year, right? Sometimes it's hallelujah, Christ is risen. Sometimes it, it, it's the name of the Trinity. Sometimes it's bless the Lord who forgives all our sins, right? But what is it? It's an acclamation of a reality. Not up for debate. We're here. We're gathered for worship. Here is a fact. And we acclaim and confess that fact. Right? That's huge. It's become vogue for some reason for uncertainty to be seen as a virtue. And I'm not sure if this comes from our post-modernity, angsty, French philosophy, German philosophy. I don't know where it's from. But there's this idea that we can't know the truth and somehow I'm more nuanced and sophisticated if I don't say what I believe, if I don't confess it. The church historically says balderdash. It's not wrong to question things. That's not what's being said here. But there is something that we hang our hat on. There is a truth that's objective. And that is that which we acclaim. And as a Christian, the Te Deum reminds us that it's our job to both adore and acclaim or affirm before the rest of the world. What do we acclaim? Look at the next line. Father of majesty, unbounded. Your true and only Son, worthy of all praise. And the Holy Spirit, advocate and guide. You, Christ, are the King of glory, the eternal Son of the Father. Stop right there for a minute. Notice we change here from acclaiming and adoring God to addressing Jesus personally. Do you see that? You, Christ, are the King of glory. So we don't just affirm this, but we state it vigorously with conviction. The eternal Son of the Father. And then look at the next part. When you took our flesh to set us free, you humbly chose the virgin's womb. You overcame the sting of death, and you opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. You are seated at God's right hand in glory. We believe that you will come to be our judge. Let's stop there for a minute. What's that sound like? What other part of the service does that sound like? The creed, right. So we have this, this affirmation and then this summary of the apostles or Nicene Creed in the praise song itself, do you see? Do you see what the Te Deum Laudamus is doing? It's inviting us into worship, but it's also giving us encouragement as Christians 
that these are the things that center us. We affirm and we confess Jesus. We address Jesus personally because he's given us that right. And we recount what he has done for humanity. Finally, we appeal to God through Jesus Christ. Look at the next section. Come then, Lord, and help your people, bought with the price of your own blood, and bring us with your saints to joy everlasting. Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Govern them and uphold them now and always. Day by day we bless you. We praise your name forever. Keep us today, Lord, from all sin, and have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. Show us your love and mercy, for we have put our trust in you. Let's stop there for a minute. So, we've affirmed that. We go through the different things that Christ has done. We recount that, right? We praise God for that. And then we plea. We appeal. We throw ourselves before him, saying, Come then, Lord. Come then, Lord. That's right out of Scripture. It's the Aramaic word Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus. That's how we start Advent during the season of Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. It's an appeal and a plea that the Lord come and help us. Why? Because we've been bought with his own blood. So that we might be brought with the saints to glory everlasting. So save your people and bless your inheritance, we say. There's an ongoing saving that's needed, right? Salvation is not just an event. It is an event, but it's not just an event. Salvation in the Greek, in the New Testament, is this idea of having been saved and continuing to be saved. And that's what's being said here. We're appealing to God to continue to save us, to govern and uphold them now and always. The church, to day by day, we bless you. We praise your name forever. Keep us from sin, all sin today. That's a reference to Jude 24, which reads, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And it goes on. But do you see what the Te Deum is doing? It's knitting together all these scriptures in praise. And finally we ask that he show us his mercy for we have put our trust in him. In you, Lord, is our hope. Let us never be put to shame. Psalm 31, verse 17 reads, O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. But let me not be put to shame. The Latin here is a word that can be translated shame. It can be translated confused or confounded which is the old translation of this. Let me never be confused or confounded. But it can also be translated this way, not just as a request, but as a statement. In you, Lord, is our hope. Therefore, I shall never be put to shame or confounded. And both ways are correct. So, the Te Deum Laudamus adores, acclaims, 
and appeals. And it gives us a structure as Christians as to how we approach worship and how we approach our relationship with God. Notice it's a very personal thing and a very magnificent thing. One not to the contrary of the other. A very intimate thing and a very formal thing. One not to the to the contrary of the other. It's both together. The canticle reminds us that God sits on his throne and has won the victory. That he doesn't need our adoration, but he asks it. In fact, he demands it because of his because of who he is. Second of all, he doesn't need need to be acclaimed, but he invites the church to acclaim him. He invites us to confess him before the world. That's no small task, right? And finally, he, the Te Deum teaches us to plea to him because we do need him day by day, every minute, every hour. We need him because without him, we are unable utterly to please him or to be in his will. How do we put this practically in our lives? Well, I think one way is just to keep the three A's in mind. Adoration, acclaim, appeal. Most of us are really good at the appeal part, right? But what about the adoration? What about praising God? What about praying to God just because of who he is? Lord, I love you because you've saved me. There's great prayers throughout the prayer book that help us adore God, right? How about acclaiming or confessing who God is. You see, Christians are called to proclaim and acclaim a different reality. There's a cultural reality, a cultural underpinning presuppositions, beliefs, values that we walk around in every day. One of which is that all that exists is what I can see. The Christian, as the Christian, we need to say, no, there's so much more. One of the, under, one of the cultural underpinnings is, well, you only live one life. You only have this life here and now. The Christian says, no. In fact, this life is but a moment and a flash. The next one, the eternal one, is the one that matters. Use this one to prepare for that one. You see, acclaiming this reality completely changes our mindset and our priorities. And it's hard because we're so inundated. And that's why things like the canticles are so important because like walking into a football game, if we're trying to acclaim God and realizing that it's so much more in adoring, acclaiming, and appealing to him than just me or just even us in this building. If we realize that, we will have great encouragement because God, Jesus, has overcome this world, right? And so that gathering around the throne room is like a football game, but so much more That vision that Isaiah has given was to encourage him to persist in a really crummy time 
when God's people wouldn't listen to God. And so the Te Deum says to us, persist, persist, acclaim, adore, and appeal. For this is what's happening, and this is what you're a part of, nothing less. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you gather us together, but that you gather us with all creatures, angels, seraphim, cherubim, archangels, angels, all creation to worship you. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember that as we go forth in our weekdays, as we're at work, as we're with other people, as we're constantly hearing things and values that are not of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to see your kingdom clearly that we might proclaim your truth to people. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.